Hello and welcome to the Get French Football News preview show. And for the first time in a while, it actually will be a preview show. Hazar! Well, we will have a bit of reviewing with France having played Sweden in midweek, but, you know, you get the point. In addition to looking back on the France game, we will also be sinking our teeth into three of the Ligue 1 matches set to be played this weekend. Of course, it's only nine across the next few days as Nice's trip to Marseille has been postponed due to some COVID-19 malarkey. The three matches covered tonight will be Monaco's hosting of Paris as Le Monegasque's new coach Niko Kovac prepares for his first experience of facing the capital club. Ramps will play Nîmes in a battle of the two promoted sides of two seasons ago and we'll also chat about Montpellier's match against a Strasbourg side who have forgotten how to win football matches in recent weeks. With me as ever is Thomas Wiseman as well as Eric Devin and Jeremy Smith and let's start off with the national team. France hosted Sweden in this Nations League match, ended 4-2 to the home side with Olivier Giroud getting two goals as well as Pavard and Coman with Kleisson and Quaison getting the goals for Sweden. So Eric Four goals for France, loads of shots, lots of pressure, back-to-back wins to close off the year for the national team. What did you make of the proceedings in this one, Eric? Um, I think it was frustrating again to see France fail to keep a clean sheet. Um, and I think that, you know, perhaps the, the form of Varane throughout this, his, his middling club form seems to be carrying over to the national team. That's a little bit worrying for me. Um, I mean, of course, you know, we're... You know, we're four months away from the next set of matches and there, there's time to iron this out. Um, but again, a little bit troubling that France can't, can't keep a clean sheet. Uh, you know, Sweden and, and Finland uh, perhaps are not as at the races. Um, I know they did perform well against Portugal getting that win, but uh, it's a little frustrating to not be able to see uh, Deschamps getting this side playing as consistently as, as one would like. So that to me was a little bit disappointing. But I think, on the whole, I think there are encouraging signs. Uh, I, I think, you know, Marcus Thuram, even though he's not going to be uh, playing on that flank with any regularity, uh, looks a bright prospect. He looks energetic. He looks, you know, to be able to flip among positions well. He could, you know, looks comfortable centrally, looks comfortable, comfortable on the flank. Um, Adrian Rabio continues his... Uh, Lazarus-like resurrection uh, in a really surprising and impressive way. Um, you know, after two odd years away from the team, he looks, you know, perhaps to be ready to take up the mantle of that of that role that uh, Blaise and Tweedy had played so well uh, in the World Cup, that, that sort of winger-come-central midfielder that, that plays on the left side there. And, you know, whether you call that a 4-3-3 or 4-2-3-1, uh, that sort of that sort of flexibility, uh, you know, I, I know he's perhaps not regarded in terms of his work rate on the same level as Matuidi, but I, I think he's certainly shown that he's able to put the bit between the teeth, and Deschamps has rewarded him accordingly, and he he looks very solid. Um, so I think it's sort of a mixed bag in terms of how France have have approached this and approached these three matches, but I think on the whole. Uh, this is what Deschamps wanted. Um, qualifications been secured for the semifinals, uh, and he's developed some rather convincing options um, in positions where there was, a, I think, a little bit of confusion as to uh, the succession plan, as it were. I think that, you know, we looked at maybe Quarantine Deliso taking up that role. 
Um, but now it seems it seems that that Rabio is a good candidate for that, and uh, you know we should be happy with with that development. And, and uh, you know now if Olivier Giroud can get a move in January, everything will be perfect. <laughs> and and you talked about the issues there with conceding goals. Do you think that France need to in some way more consistently support their defence from the midfield? Because if you look at the lineups and the different matches that they have had, it seems that whenever N'Golo Conte doesn't start they leak a couple you know but if you look at the the France Portugal game they kept a clean sheet and Golo Conte was fantastic that night and then if you go back a few weeks uh, France Portugal again back in October they kept a clean sheet there with Conte playing whereas in other matches the France Sweden one he he didn't play um, and as far as I know I don't believe he started yet to check and didn't start in the Croatia France match are they maybe a little bit reliant on him for their defensive cover sometimes? Can they maybe get a little bit too focused on the attack, which can leave their kind of backline a little bit exposed? You know, sometimes you can't really blame the centre halves if they're just getting bombarded all the time because there's not many guys in that midfield who are 100% they're the defenders for the for the midfield. You know, you have Nzonzi at some points comes in, but Sissoko, um, Pogba and Rabio the other night, you know, it's not exactly the most defensive midfield ever, is it, Eric? No, but at the same time, you know, obviously we saw that France could be ropey at the back, uh, going back to the World Cup final when uh, Conte was ill and, uh, you know, came off after an hour, didn't play well. Um, but France still got things done. Um, I, I think that's not untrue, but I think it's also like saying, oh, your team, you know, like it's like Yano Black for Atletico Madrid, right? You have a goalkeeper who's fantastic and solid. And you say, oh, what would that team be like if you if you had to use the reserve or, you know, Liverpool with. Um, uh, uh, when Allison was hurt, uh, you know, how would how would they fare with with uh, Adrian? In? The, the point is, he is there. I think it's, you know, in, unless he suffers a serious injury, he can be relied upon. And in tournament football, there will be more space between matches, not, you know, not having three matches within the space of seven days as we've had here. Uh, and and it's, it is, I think, sort of a moot point. I think that Conte seems to be only getting better, um, which, you know, for a player of, I believe he's 28, uh, is is a, is none too impressive feat. Um, and I think that with him in the team, France looked fantastic. So, you know, yes, they are reliant on him, but that's what good players are there for. Or, or, you know, would we, would we say that, you know, Leon or Memphis Depay reliant or... Um, you know, uh, the Marseille of two seasons ago where Florian Tovan reliant. Yes, but the fact is they're there, they play well, and at least a success for the team. In this match, there was two more goals for Olivier Giroud, which takes him within seven of Thierry Henry, who's the current top goal scorer for the French national team. Is it a case now, Jeremy, of if rather than, or when rather than if Giroud is going to beat this record? Um, I wouldn't say that for sure. I think a lot depends on what happens with his club situation and also, I guess, whether he decides that he wants to carry on until the World Cup or not. Um, but he's certainly doing everything he needs to do. And, and um, you know, not for the first time, not for the probably 10th time in his career, he answered a lot of critics with his performance. Um, I thought, Overall, it was a really positive international break. I, I disagree slightly with Eric. I think there weren't that many frustrations. I, I thought Varane, yes, got away with a 
probably conceding a penalty against Sweden. But otherwise, I thought he was he was mostly back to his best. I think more of the problems came actually from the left side. Um, and yeah, overall, I think it was it was all very positive. And, and the one of the good things was seeing all the players who have been struggling club-wise, so Varane, Griezmann, Pogba, Giroud, all kind of had their moments. Um, Giroud, it looked like maybe he wouldn't get his chance because Finland, yes, he wasn't great, but I still think he got a little bit too much stick considering he relies on service and the rest of the team was so bad that he barely got any. Um, and probably it was partly tactical, but partly also to to kind of make a point that he was dropped for Portugal. But yeah, again, he came back really strong against Sweden. And, um, you know, apart from the two goals, I thought his hold-up play was good. There was a, a fantastic sort of chest down for, for Griezmann in the second half. But first half as well, he was also back to his best in terms of kind of being the first line of press when France are out of possession, doing his bit in, in his own in the own in his own area again as well. And I mean you, you can sort of have a tactical debate about whether France are better kind of with a big man up front and the the kind of more the other players orbiting around him or having three up front um you know all with a relatively similar style with more kind of trickery and, and skills and ability to run with ball at the feet um but if you're going for that first one or even if you want it as a plan b there really isn't anyone who's kind of stepping up as a candidate to, to challenge Giroud so at least for the moment you know since the the tragedy of Sebastian Haller deciding to opt for the Ivory Coast um so at least for the moment he's gonna probably get his chances and by the law of averages and and sort of goal ratios, he yeah he it looks like he could well break the record. But um, yeah, I think there's still a, a reasonably long way to go before we can say that for sure. And Jeremy, you, you uh, noted it there, but he's hardly really had a sniff this season at Chelsea. Only three league appearances, no starts. It seems that he is slightly out in the cold at the moment with Tammy Abraham and Timo Werner and others kind of taking his position up front. What do you make of his club position at the moment? You know, Do you think he is slightly uh, underrated in London or maybe not appreciated? And do you think it's maybe time for a move so that he can really uh, eat up these last few years of his career? I think his whole career he's been underappreciated. I think at Arsenal he was he wasn't given enough credit for for what he did. At Chelsea, kind of last season, sort of summed it up. I mean, he was kind of ditched at the start of the season, kept his mouth shut, worked hard. Actually, by all accounts, was a huge support and a great kind of source of advice and um, uh, sort of guidance for Tammy Abraham when he could have sort of sulked or kind of you know somehow gone against him waited for his chance and then the second half of the season and especially after lockdown was absolutely superb he earns his new deal and then Lampard immediately dumps him again um which is understandable when you bring in the likes of Werner and and Havertz maybe but um then at least you know do the right thing and say listen you're you're going to be sort of third fourth choice maybe rather than extend the contract here um we'll let you go look somewhere else so I think he's been treated disgracefully um and I hope for his sake, not just in terms of his France position, but also so that he can sort of, you know, have the last two or three years of his career actually playing. I hope he does get a move because, yeah, I, do, I, 
I don't think certain Arsenal fans deserved him. And I don't think, not necessarily the Chelsea fans, but certainly the Chelsea manager, I don't think he deserves him. And I think Giroud does, um, has earned the right to kind of be treated with a bit more appreciation wherever he goes. Another player uh, for France who has had a bit of a difficult time uh, as of late abroad. I don't want to turn this into a Premier League chat show, I promise. We'll get back to the French stuff in a minute. But obviously it's Paul Pogba. You know, he was quoted in midweek saying that he's been having a bit of a tough time in his career, something he's not really had before, but was relishing the national team experience, calling it a breath of fresh air. I imagine he means away from the troubles of Manchester United and all the kind of weight that comes with that resting on your back. Eric, what have you made of, of Pogba in these last few games for France? And what do you make of his personal situation at club at the moment? Well, I, I think that I think that he's someone who, for France, has always, you know, even if he hasn't been consistently as attacking best over his France career, I think that especially under Deschamps, he's always shown a willingness to to work hard. And, and I'm not sure if he had a career with France before Deschamps, right? I have to I have to look at that. But anyway, he's always shown himself to be a willing worker. I think that it's not something he's consistently here at Manchester United. So it's clear that Pogba, as an individual, you know, in speaking about this hard time, you know, he's he's speaking to to you know having a man having the faith of a manager, um, and you know showing an ability to get his nose dirty for a manager. I mean, we think about you know Francis. Uh, I think about the European semifinal in 2016, where he played as part of a midfield two and was um, really tremendous in a very sort of negative slash suffocating role. Uh, it was a, a very it was a success that was done by dint of his hard work. Um, and I think that you know he's not being asked to to do that with Manchester United, and he's not. And I think that uh, for whatever reason, his rapport with uh, the managers there has been poor. And I think that's really what it boils down to is that he he feels a connection and and, and a loyalty to, to Deschamps that's repaid in kind and you know the proof's in the pudding. I, I think that he, again, yeah, even if he's not at his attacking flare flareful best, he generally turns in a, a good performance work wise for France. But yeah, so so that wraps up a pretty solid international year for France. They only had probably. Not as many matches in, in some other years because COVID and whatnot, but eight matches, you know, only only one defeat. They in that friendly a couple of weeks ago against Finland, but they, they finish it out strong, lots of goals scored and whatnot. So I think the, the the nation will be pretty happy with the kind of progress which has happened this year. But let's move on to some of the club action, some of the games that are set to be played this weekend. Monaco against PSG. You know, a couple of years ago this was a, a fantastic fixture in French football and I, and I want to chat about its kind of stature and how it's maybe fallen off a little bit in a couple moments but Thomas Wiseman Nico Kovacs this will be his first game against PSG since he's come to the Principality of Monaco and you know he left Bayern in a bit of a storm with five goals conceded in his final game and, and maybe the the nail that relegated that him sacked him has maybe been dug even a bit deeper since the success that Hansi Flick has, has done with a fairly similar squad do you think that the Monaco job is the right one for him at the moment and what's been your opinion of his performances so far since he has come to France Thomas I think uh, especially considering where um, Monaco were and 
and sort of the mess that's that's occurred um, recently, it's it, it. I guess it's kind of difficult to to criticise them too much because they've been, you know, they've not they've not been you know tearing up the league, but um, they've been how do I put this less Monaco than they usually <laughs> were, were beforehand. Um, and I think one of the concerns we had um, for for years was this huge, huge squad of players and and they've managed to sort of, well, whittle it down a little, a little bit more um, with quite a few outgoings. Um, so it seems like he, he's trying to foster a, a better atmosphere um, with the squad and it, it seems to be paying off, especially, I mean, one player that stood out to me so far is Sofiane Diop, who's been there for, I think, two, three years maybe. He's only 20, 21 um, but he's really he's starting to, to to have plenty of minutes and and really is proving that you know the the amount of money they did spend on him a good few years back when Monaco signed all them young players and it was a complete mess. Um, hopefully he's he's sort of settled down and come into uh, to fruition. Yeah, the Sofia and the Hope one. This actually was one I was going to uh, bring up to you, Thomas, because we talked to him a couple of years ago, just yeah, when yeah. he kind of joined the club. I think he signed from Rennes, and he played under that team with um, Leonard Jardim and under uh, Thierry Henry. Had a bit of a difficult time there, and was really. I don't know if he'll maybe thank Henri for this, but he was really put into the limelight under him. You know, played a lot of games. Played, in, I'm pretty sure he played one of the Champions League matches. I maybe, I may be wrong in that. Um, but you know, he, he got a lot of exposure. Did he score Penenka in a penalty shootout? <laughs> I think so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was, well, it the, was. It was them Champions League matches where Monaco just brought on every teenager they had. Was and, him, uh, who's Masengo playing as well? Who's the other um, mid, um, young guy? Striker was signed from Barcelona. Uh, he now oh, plays. Uh, Who's that? Mbula. Mbula. I was. I always thought Jordi Mbula was going to be a lot better than he turned out to be, purely because I thought he had a really cool name, Jordi Mbula. <laughs> I thought like that sounds like a fragrance for me. That sounds like a like honestly like like a perfume or something like that. Is Jordi Mbula. Uh, I was looking for a bit in the shop, honestly. Uh, yeah, I always thought he was going to be a lot better than it actually eventually turned out to be. You know, Jordan Bull is one of these guys that was signed in that big crop of youth players and didn't really do much. I think he plays in Holland now, PSV or one of these teams, I feel, or maybe Belgium. Um, let me check this. Um, maybe not. He was one of them players where it was the, oh, is it the, the YouTube compilations of him and and it just didn't really work out, did it? Yeah, I think, I think I'm mixing up someone. Yeah, with a lot of these young players, you have to give them some leniency because of the mess they were in. Um, so when I remember when we talked about Diop um, back then, and it was sort of, yeah, he's been he, he's not he's been poor, but there's things wrong at the club that definitely have impacted his um, how he's played so far, and it looks like he's he's coming coming good. Until I, I remember when I think it was some transfer deal that was about a year or two ago, and when uh, Olivier Piquet was still at Angers, um, he really wanted the op, so I sort of kept an eye out for him. First Angers reference to the show, guys. Note that. Oh, note sorry, that. Yeah. We're we 15 minutes in, 20 minutes in. It's already been noted. Okay, we've <laughs> only got two left. <laughs> No, Diop has been very impressive. Um, of that big crop of players that 
Monaco brought in in the last few years, Thomas Wiseman, who is who's your uh, favourite random player that they dropped in, that they signed? I'll give you mine so you, you can have a couple seconds to think about it. I think Naldo was the most was the hilarious one. Oh yeah, okay. six foot six Brazilian yeah. signed from Schalke, came in, played like three matches. He, do you remember his uh, announcement video? It was like um, him sitting up on a hill looking over uh, Monaco's training session. Did he? And then it was, it was like almost like a Batman style thing of him signing. I'm sure I'm sure he got like two red cards in a very limited amount of games for. Yeah, I think his first two or three even. Yeah. <laughs> One's ridiculously harsh from memory though. I'm I'm looking back at his matches now. His first three games in French football uh, so he played a 1-1 draw against Marseille. Nothing really happened there. Then he played, oh my God, he played in the 5-1 loss to Strasbourg. I remember watching that game. Strasbourg absolutely ran riot that day. Yusuf Fafana and uh, Ibrahima Sazoka in midfield were insane. Uh, and he got sent off in that game after seven minutes, professional football, last man, uh, to which Camille Glick then got yellow carded for arguing. Oh, this is hilarious. Uh, and then he played in the next game against Dijon. Uh, in which they lost 2-0 and was uh, sent off after 60 minutes. Naldo, I think, was my most favourite signing in that era of Monaco. Who's your most favourite player that was kind of signed in that time? Because there were a lot of randomers. There was, there yeah. was a lot of randomers. There's a lot of guys you could take from that big, um, you know, there was the big picture taken when they'd sign like 18 oh, yeah. different guys that were brought in. Jonathan Panzo was there. Sofian yeah. Diop was there. Jordan Bull was there. Um, Didn't he sign? Um, it's well, it's nice to see actually that um, Pierre Gabriel's back in league on into the you know, at Brest, but he was one player that had it seemed like he had a lot of potential and talent, but he just sort of didn't go anywhere like a lot of the players that did sign. Mm. Uh, yeah, okay. Let's let's go on onto the stuff right now, though. <laughs> Do you think? Um, because <laughs> I was looking through um, Monaco's squad, which has been thinned down since since. Mm. Uh, all that and do you think his style of play because I'm not a German football expert but from always what I've kind of picked up from his team especially when he was at Frankfurt and something that he really tried at Bayern but it's not really the type of thing you do at a massive club is that he was a bit more of a defensive minded coach and then if you look through Monaco's squad specifically their midfield you know Aurelien Chomeni, Yusuf Afana, Cesc Fabregas, um, Florentino Luis there's not a lot of like your big destroyers in there. There's not a lot of your big defensive midfielders are going to hold everything together. So do you think Kovac suits the squad that he's got there now, or is it the type of thing where he's going to have to have a couple transfer windows to really make it his own team, Thomas? Well, I think it's it's really about, it, it looks like at, at, at the moment, he's, he's just sort of adapting to, to the league. And they signed, um, I can't remember his name now, they signed Luis, I think. The boy from um, yeah, Pica? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um has played as a, as a defenseman midfield. So I, I, I'm still uncertain of, of how it will play out, but as, so far it's been mildly optimistic, maybe. <laughs> i say that. Do you think he's got the attributes to kind of be their next long-term manager, to kind of hold everything together for the next few years and not be like Henri, for instance, where he was in for 20 minutes? Oh, I think. Well, I think he's, yeah. I think I think he'll survive longer than Henri. Henri, I think he probably already has actually. But um, yeah, that situation hopefully won't occur again. <laughs> Robert Moreno as well. I can't forget about him. He was in for oh, what? Wow, I think it was yeah. half an hour. I think it was. I think he got his lunch break, 
and then he was out, and then he was fired in the afternoon. I think that was the kind of case with him. Uh, <laughs> so Kovac did a lot better uh, since that recently. Uh, Jeremy, this fixture, Monaco PSG, a couple of years ago when Monaco were really at the upper echelon, you know, that fantastic team that gets talked about all the time, Mbappe and Co. It was one of the best fixtures in France, one of the most exciting ones. Monaco won a lot of games and they pushed PSG right to the hilt, especially as they won the league, of, uh, when they won the title, of course. How far do you think Monaco fell since that era of them winning the league and that fantastic team? And do you think they're on course to getting back into that group of clubs or are they completely off it right now and it's going to be a 10-year a job before they're really punching up with PSG, Lyon, Rennes, the kind of teams that have kind of taken that mantelpiece since? I definitely, I mean, they've, they've fallen, they fell massively um, and it just the, the wheels completely fell off I think that they 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 had a really good policy of bringing in young talents and Jardim kind of polishing those talents and then um they lost Campos they lost direction the sports and director was no good Jardim was no longer interested in bringing through youth at the same time they I think they got a little bit too cocky and were literally bringing in kids who didn't even have any sort of professional experience behind them and just the whole thing collapsed um and then Henri was a brave choice that didn't entirely obviously go well but I don't I certainly don't think it was all his fault and arguably he probably should have been given a longer chance and then they brought in Jardim again having sort of not learned their lesson and and um he just sort of carried on where he left off which was badly but I certainly don't think it's it doesn't necessarily need to, I think they're definitely on the not on the way back but that I think they've got their house in order in that they've got a sensible sporting director they've got a manager who um a coach who apart from his time at, at Bayern has got a good reputation behind him and everything just seems a little bit more sensible a little bit more grounded a bit more um within the playing squad they've got a relatively nice balance they've got rid of the um the past it players who were only there because Jardim was was good mates with them and now they've got a relatively nice blend of experience and, and young talent and I wouldn't say they're quite ready yet to be in the sort of top two three four or top two or three let's say but we've seen how quickly things can change in France um we've seen how quickly Monaco can change just because for various reasons they because of tax breaks and you know sudden um inputs of cash they they can suddenly bring in some star names even if they might be sort of on the wane and and they're coming for mercenary reasons and they can um still spend more than certain other clubs so and you know that the the time they won the league it was only sort of two three years before that that they were in league de. so it shows how quickly things can change and obviously on the other side there's there's other teams who can very quickly kind of collapse in the same way they did and you know we've seen it a, a little bit with Lyon kind of with Marseille this year I think just because of the nature of the French league and and the fact that most of them are selling clubs if they're not sort of using their transfer funds sensibly or don't have talented youths coming through a team can very very quickly if they sort of half take their eye off the ball quickly drop out of European places and suddenly start struggling I mean you know look at Saint-Étienne as well for example 
So I don't think it's a case of wait having to wait 10 years until they come back. But um, I think it would be sensible if they sort of took things slowly and didn't try to you know, go immediately for um, challenging uh, again for the title, at least for, for a couple of years. And I think the way they're going about things this year suggests that they are being run in a in a more sort of sensible grown-up way now and and yeah if they maintain that then I think over the next two three years we could see them if not challenging for the title certainly challenging for Champions League places again. Mm. And Eric PSG have had their fair share of of absolutely rattling Monaco in the last few years, pardon my French, uh, 4-0 win, 3-1 wins, 4-0, everyone remembers the 7-1 win of, of 2018, um, but Monaco have shown that they, you know, they sometimes do have the steel and they do have the ability to kind of turn up when it's needed, the 3-3 draw is what I'm talking about, which was only the only earlier this year, obviously, that was a different manager, slightly different squads. But, you know, what I'm saying is the seeds are there to kind of sometimes turn up and really put in a, a big performance. Do PSG have case to be a bit more cautious of this match than they, than they may be expecting it to be, Eric? I think, uh, I mean, yes and no. I, I think that um, Monaco have looked... I think Monaco learned their lesson from that Leon loss. I think that's something that should not be undersold. Um, I think that they had had sort of a false dawn playing a 4-3-3 with Cesc Fabregas at the base of midfield. And then that got found out fairly comprehensively by Leon. But then switching to this this 4-4-2 with uh, Fofana, who's been absolutely outstanding this season, uh, bringing Caio Henrique at left back, that he looks to be a solution. Uh, you know, a player who I don't think we really knew knew much about has been had spent time um, on loan from Atlético Madrid in Brazil. Done well. He looks he looks bright. Ruben Aguiar, of course, um, has looked good as well. But you're going to be missing Wissam Ben Yedder for this match uh, as he recovers from COVID nineteen. And you know, all best to him in that. Uh, but I think his importance and his ability can't be understated, uh, both in terms of the, his goal scoring and, and the intangibles that he brings. Kovac has been uh, really unstinting in his praise of Ben Yedder, saying this is a player who I knew immediately was someone who I would give the, to whom I would give the armband. Uh, his work ethic, his his quality, his talent, uh, you know, speak for themselves. Um, and Aguilar will also be suspended as well. So were those two players? I, and, and you also have Benjamin Lecomte uh, injured with a broken hand. Uh, now again, Lecomte hasn't been probably at his best this season but i think we saw from that gaff uh from uh minone who kovac has said will start uh i think we saw from that that gaff against nice that you know there's a reason why he's sort of been a journeyman slash career backup throughout his career um and i think given those three absences i think monaco at full strength would be more than a match for for psg and and could be oh i don't know about confident about getting a result but certainly making for an entertaining match I think with those absences, um, they're perhaps a little bit diminished, especially because PSG, you know, will have Kylian Mbappe back, will have Marco Verratti back, will have Mauro Cardi back. Now I know Cardi's been, you know, has sort of a persona non grata in some ways, but again, he is another option scoring wise. Um, you know, Neymar, I, I don't, I haven't seen the squad announcements, but he he had been back in training at least this week. I don't know if anybody knows whether he is he has in the squad. 
Um, but yeah, I think I think this should be PSG's match to lose, but only by dint of Monaco's absences. I think Monaco at full strength this season have been really impressive. If you take out that Leon match uh, and that that sort of capitulation against Ren, where they lost, they went from winning to losing in the last ten minutes. You know, give this team three more points, four more points, and where would they be in the table? I know that's a big hypothetical. I know that the top half of the table is very crowded, but I wouldn't rule, I wouldn't put it out of the realm of possibility, especially as PSG and Lille, or sorry, as Lille and Ren continue to navigate European football, um, of Monaco, you know, being a legitimate contender for the top three this season. Uh, I think they're in fifth right now. Um, so if they were to win against PSG, you know, or or play well in a draw, I think that would be a, a massive statement and could really speak well to their potential to succeed even without those key players that I mentioned. Hmm. I mean, obviously this is going to be a tough match for Monaco, but if Niko Kovac comes into this game and if he re- if he really wants to put in a marker, obviously it's it's fine to say I want to win this game and then you have to go and actually win it. But if Kovac really wants to put in a marker and he goes and steals something from this game, I think that's that's just that's just massive in in terms of like intent of what Monaco want to do in the next few years because their squad, as we've said, it's finally looking solid again. I like a lot of the players, the players that are of solid age now, good, and the players that are a little bit younger breaking through also good. Um, so you know there's there's positives to be seen there, but if, if Kovac can go and get something from this game and really really show some of their quality, the quality they have shown in other matches this season, I think that would be massive for the Principality Club. But Eric, give me a score prediction. How do you actually see this one playing out? Could Monaco steal a point? Uh, I'm going to say Monaco won PSG two. I think without Ben Yedder. Uh, Voland is still getting getting settled, and I think that th- that lack of an attacking focal point um, will be difficult. Okay, uh, Thomas Wiseman, how do you see this one finishing? Um, I think it's also interesting to consider that that Champions League game that PSG have upcoming midweek against Leipzig is very very crucial for them, but also they'll beat Monaco. So I'm going to say. <laughs> I'm gonna say three, three one. That was rude. You got my hopes up Actually, there no, for three, a second, no. really. I heard the I heard the orchestral music playing in the background, and then you're like, "No, nah, <laughs> they're gonna get rattled." So who who really gives a damn? Suppose what was it three one? You said. Uh, I changed to three now. Okay, okay, perfect. And uh, Jeremy, uh, what about you? How do you see it going? Um, I totally agree with 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 what both guys said. I think Ben Yedder is. A, I think Monaco could be a match, but Ben Yedder is a huge loss. And PSG could be distracted because there's no doubt that the Leipzig match is more important. So I, I can't see certain players, especially those coming back from injury, playing with full intensity. But that said, I still think PSG will win. So I'll kind of split it down somewhere down the middle and say 2-0. I was going to agree with you. I was going to say 2-0 as well. I think it's going to be one of these ones where PSG's quality will just kind of shine through the end or something like that. But I thought Monaco will put up a bit of a fight here, just with everything that's happened, everything we were talking about. Um, but I also said that about Rain last week, and that ended up being three 0 So maybe I'm not, maybe I'm not the best guy to kind of lead the betting odds for that <laughs> for this one. Uh, but yeah, so we're all pretty unanimous there in PSG getting all three points here, although we are disagreeing in how easy it will <laughs> easy will be for Thomas Tuchel's side. 
Okay, let's move on to our second previewed match of the episode, and this one is Saderam sitting in 16th against Nîmes Olympique sitting in 18th. These, of course, were the two sides that a couple of years came up from uh, Ligue 2 together in the 2018-19 season, and I think both have fared fairly well since then, although both at the moment sit quite low in the league. But we'll start off with Rams. You know, teams often struggle with European competition when they get back into it for a couple for the first time in a couple of years you know their squad's not really used to the amount of matches they have to play and the qualification process especially coming through into the Champions League if you've not finished first or second can be very tedious there can be a lot of matches before you really get into the group stage and whatnot and obviously Rams had that qualification process it didn't go extremely well obviously they didn't get into uh, the tournament in the end was it Serbia vet they lost to in the end a swiss team um it, it didn't it didn't go fantastic for them essentially um, and that form has kind of struggled has kind of um, carried into the league as well with them currently testing 16th although just before the international break form started to pick up a little bit more two wins and a draw and thomas do you think that ramps are just a side with too much quality and too good of a coach at the moment to really keep up this bad form do you think that european competition kind of just knocked their confidence but now we're seeing them playing a little bit better and it's just a matter of time before they start jumping back up the league yeah, I think, I mean, we'll come on to Neem, but comparing both teams, I'm more confident in in Rance, um sort of making their way out of this this rut they've they've uh, dug themselves into than the Neem at the moment. And it's it's pretty easy to make a comparison between how they fared this season, especially at the start with um, their Europa League qualification uh, failure, and how Strasbourg did exactly the same thing last year where they were they were struggling after that and and this did eventually um recover from it so i think that's something to watch out for um and especially if they've got you know a goal scorer like bull idea um bagging goal i think he's the top scorer at the moment um with eight um if they've got somebody like that that's always pretty good for for them to have mm, absolutely um Nathaniel Mbuku has been getting a bit more game time this season for them. You know, he got drips and drabs last season, but this this campaign it's been six starts out of 10 and he really made a name for himself in the under 17 World Cup a few years back when he got five goals in six games for France. Eric, is he just one of a number of the more interesting players playing at Rohamps at the moment and those that could maybe have a move in them in a couple of years time? I'm talking about Mbuku, I'm talking about Bouledi, I'm talking about Wout Feisch as well. Yeah, and Nobel Altore, I would add to that group as well. Um, yeah, I, I think that as we've rightly said, you know, Ryan's obviously have talent. Reykjavik is one of the better goalkeepers in the league. We know about Yunus Abdelhamid's uh, ability. They have, you know, good creative options in, in the forms of Berisha and Zanelli. Um, yeah, I think that there is Matthew Caffaro. I think there is there is good thing. There are good things to come from this team. Um, and I think that that, you know, not only the, the rhythm of... Uh, those Europa League qualifiers uh, in a you know bizarrely truncated truncated off season, um, but also you know the disappointment right to have been on the cusp of playing you know some years. I mean I don't 
I think, Jeremy, you might be better in terms of historical awareness, but when was the last time Rams were in Europe? I mean, I have no idea. Was it was it back in the 60s? I would guess it probably was, but I'm not 100% sure, to be honest. Yeah, that actually... You keep uh, chatting and I'll look it up. (laughs) Now that I say it, that actually rings a bell. I I think it it has been something like 50 years. So, yeah, I think that that psychological uh, issue is a problem. But I think that if we look at the form of Dia um, uh, Torre uh, and some of these other attacking players, there is a convincing case to be made that if this team can uh, recapture some of the fine defensive form that they previously demonstrated under David Guillaume, um, they, you know, they have every chance to push up the table. Yeah. Um, you know, Neem have been not very good this season, uh, very open at the back, uh, very poor uh, central defenders. I mean, obviously they're, uh, you know, obviously they've had some absences and, and, and what have you there. But I think that, I think that by and large, yeah, Rams, Rams have just endured a bump in the road and should be back. Oh, pardon me, should be back at it. Um, uh, you know, I, I don't think a European finish is reason is reasonable given the investment and acquisitions we've seen from the likes of Leon and 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 Nice. Um, but I think that I think that yeah, Rams should be comfortable in mid table coming into the season. Mm. And uh, Jeremy, I know you had an interview with Bully Dia uh, earlier on this month, maybe in the tail end of last month. Um, obviously, has been playing fantastic for Rams this season. Was good last season, but is sitting as the top scorer in Ligue 1 so far. How was it chatting to him? What kind of idea did you get of the guy? Because I know he's had a link, uh, he's been linked away in recent years. I think he had a move pretty much on the cards for Brighton that kind of fell away at the last at the last. Um, point but what vibe do you get of him as a as a player do you think he's really got a lot of potential to go on and kind of hit the next level of club after Ramps? yeah I do I mean you look at his career and he's sort of <clears throat> it's a kind of atypical um route to, to where he is now because he he had sort of two two or three bouts of really bad luck kind of coming through the youth ranks and, and basically fell out of football partly because of those those sort of knocks at Saint-Étienne and Lyon, and then also just because of um, family reasons, he just had to kind of change his priorities. So I think he's very conscious that he, not that he's lucky because he's earned his right to be where he is, but that it could very easily have, have, have been different. Um, I think he's got maybe a little bit more sort of life experience than your, your average player who's only kind of in his second season in the top flight or second full season um so um I kind of like his pro- sort of gradual career progression and he seems a r- really nice guy with his sort of feet on the ground and, and pretty chilled I think very much enjoying his time at RAS but um you know <laughs> these players are so well kind of media trained in terms of not saying too much but you know he's just broken into the into the Senegal team and and there's a lot of competition for for places up front for them as well so I think you know he's he obviously kind of spoke very nicely about the likes of the Premier League and I'm sure he has got half an eye on a move but you know he could have pushed for a move in the summer he did have I think Ras did say you know if we get a good offer you are um we will let you leave um, but I think he probably made the right decision to to stay for probably one more season and and yeah certainly eight goals in 
what is it, seven or eight games, I think, so far, shows that that he's on a... Um, he probably, yeah, that it was good to stay and, and amass a, a little bit more experience. Um, what I like about him as well, and I, I did sort of mention it to him more to have a dig at someone else, but that he he's not a flat track bully. You look at the, who he scores the goals against, and he you know he doesn't shy away. He scored against the likes of Rennes and Monaco and Saint Etienne when they were good, and, and Marseille and PSG. So. Um, you know, he's got that ability to raise his game, which um, I think also says a lot about his mentality and suggests that, that he hopefully will be able to kind of take the next step up. Mm, absolutely. But do you think with such uh, such the high profile kind of hype that he's getting at the moment for all the goals that he is scoring, you know, just before the international break, he bagged a couple against Lance in that absolutely insane 4-4 draw. He got a hat-trick against Montpellier. Of course, two of them were penalties, but uh, still played well in that match generally and has had other good games as well, like you said, against Ren as well. Do you think last season, obviously, the link the move was almost there, kind of fell away, but because he's kind of hit another level this season, do you think Rams just, they're not, uh, they're not capable of holding on to them this season, as much as he has done them a, a fantastic service, obviously, like you mentioned there, he has had a, a, an, an incredible kind of journey to where he's got now, I, I believe he was a Lyon youngster, and then went to play for Jursud down in Champion National 2, and then comes to Rams, and then, you know, the, the rest is history, so it's, it's not like he owes them a lot, obviously, but the financial incentives that are going to be there for him and also Rams are probably just going to be a bit, a bit too much for them to hold on to him, Jeremy, I imagine. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's, there's even rumours that he could even go in January if they get a really good offer, but I think it's more likely he'll go in the summer. Um, like I said earlier, you know, the, pretty much the whole of whole of the league is the selling league now, so certainly the likes of, of Ras at the bottom, unfortunately, and, you know, obviously De Sazi left in the summer and it's taken a little bit of adjustment um, with that move. Um, who was he left the, the year before? Uh, Mendy in goal, for example. So, uh, yeah, I'd, I'd expect him to leave in the summer. In terms of the sort of hype around him, I'd, I kind of, from a mess point of view, I just, I find it interesting. I mean, there's absolutely no doubt for me that Osimhen is is obviously a, a bigger talent, for example, than Habib Diallo. But you look at, I think Osimhen only scored one more goal than Diallo last season. And you look at the the kind of, opposite ends of the hype with sort of everyone fighting to pay you know whatever 40 50 60 million for for um Ozymen and and Diallo in the end was basically pushed out of Mess to join Strasbourg against his will just because Mess sort of I don't think they did overvalue him I think it was reasonable what they were expecting but no one came in for it so I, I, I don't you know maybe if finishes the season with 25 goals or something there'll be a little bit of hype but I think a lot of it just seems to depend on on profile and whether you kind of capture people's imagination or not so I don't necessarily think there'll be sort of you know everyone you know banging down Rass's door for him but um, again I, th- I think he'd be a very good acquisition for a sort of middling Premier League or, or Bundesliga team and then kind of see if you know once he settles there wh- whether he can then adjust to the new league and, and take the step up but I certainly think he's got all the attributes he's got you know the, the speed the strength I think he can play 
he said that he's not so good with his with his back to the game, but I think he you know, he is versatile enough that he can play down the centre, he can play off the flank, he can um, he's decent in the air, and he can play either facing the goal or I think his hold up play, while it can be improved, is is decent enough as well. So I think as long as he keeps his work ethic and and keeps improving, then then I I don't see why he can't end up at you know, not one of the very top Premier League teams, but certainly making a very good living in the Premier League. And I would have him at Brighton, definitely. <laughs> uh, let's move on to Rams' opponents in this one. Neem, they're currently sitting 18th in league. And Thomas, they have struggled at the start of this season, haven't they? And they've brought in a new manager, Jerome Arpinon, who has been the assistant for the last few years to Bernard Blackar. Um uh, and and he's not really sparked. He's not really um, caught the imagination against of, of of all the teams so far with them sitting so far down the table. But how have you seen the season so far for Neem Thomas? And, and do you think it could be a long season for them? Yeah, I think you've put it quite nicely there. That at least what I've seen so far is is concerning. I think the only there's obviously one or two bright sparks. I think Zinedine Ferrat's been. Really, really great for them this season. Um, we always, he was always, always talked about in when he was lighting up league the um, a few seasons as you know a, a creative sort of monster. Mm-hmm. And last season, um, he, he, he was he was fairly strong, had a, had a solid campaign, but uh, especially so far we've seen um, in the ten or so games um, already, he's he's really stepped up. up and he's not only creating for for his teammates as best he can he's he's also you know there to finish the chances as well um while a lot of the well while the defense is rather dysfunctional um he's just trying to give him something uh, on the side of the pitch but i'm just worried how so far they've done um i'm worried if they continue and don't shore up um, that defence that they won't be enough mm. I mean there's a lot of when you look at different teams and, and you look at the matches that they've had and the results that they've had there's always a lot of red flags that you can see and you know they have conceded a lot of goals and that's a red flag of course and maybe their strikers haven't been firing all cylinders and that's a red flag but the, the main red flag for me was going on and seeing that Stefan Bauho kind of scored two against them and Lois Dione had gotten the score sheet as well. That was the main red flag Respect for me. Respect on Barkin's name. Uh, the, the, the second <laughs> of which was was a crazy, um, a crazy goal that was. It was basically <laughs> Barkin beat the offside trap, but the um, linesman put his flag up. Barkin just sort of, I think he heard Battelle shout from him to finish the chance, so he just sort of walked it past and just finished it past um, Rene and that. Then the referee blew. Gave the offside. They went to VAR. Oh, it was actually onside, so they gave the goal. So, um, Neem were just really, <laughs> really annoyed, but it, the goal had to stand. That was really strange. Put to the sword by the ex Saint Mirren man. Yeah, I mean, it's not often that Andre score five away from home. I think it's the first time in about forty odd years. Maybe I was, say, I, was, I was trying to remember the last time they scored five in a game. Peter. <laughs> <laughs> a few years ago in Lorient. 
Uh, okay, Thomas, in this match, Neem playing away to Rams. How do you see this one finishing? Obviously, we've, we've said that Rams do really have the, the quality to go on this season. Neem, maybe not so. So do you see this one being a, a clear Rams victory as they kind of start their push back up the league table? I think it'll it'll probably be a... a they'll, they'll struggle in, in the game. I think it'll be a tough one, but this could be the, the first step for, for Rams of of getting their season back on track. So I'm going to say, I'm going to say 2-1. Two, two, one. two, two rounds. Okay. Eric, how do you see that one going? Um, I'll say 3-1. Yeah, it, it's really hard to see Neem taking anything from this. Jeremy Smith. I'm I'm going the same way. I think I'm, I'm going to say 3-0. I think Ras of of hit a decent amount of form. I mean, they threw away two points in their last match, but um, that's three matches unbeaten now, scored four goals in, in two of those matches. And Neem, I mean, on paper, I don't think they're as bad as, as, as they're showing, even though they don't have a decent centre forward, I think. But they're, they're in such a bad way. I think it's four straight defeats. I think Ras will win this quite easily. So, yeah, 3-0. I know, it's, it's, it's a shame with Neem at the moment because I do have a soft spot in my heart for Neem and I, I like a lot of their players and the transfers that they brought in, you know, I, I don't think they were the worst players, Kari Maribi, Tom, she'll know a lot more than me about him, but there was a lot of hype about him since he's come up, um, he, he, I know he played very well in the uh, African Champions League, I believe, um, Andre Kubath came over from South America, a lot of hype around him, Yassine Benrahoud, quite solid midfielder, Zinedine Fairhat, Patrick Burner, Anthony Branson, you know, these are all players, Sofian Alakush as well, these are all players that at one point, especially when Neem just got promoted, Alakush and Branson were quite highly rated and, and people mm-hmm. lined up with another move, but now it's just not really seeming to click. But we're still very early in Jerome Arpinon's tenure. At I think it's also um, just <laughs> just seeing something. Uh, it might be not the best watch um, because so far this season, um, the expected goals, um, Rants have the lowest in the division uh, at home and uh, uh, Neem have the lowest in the division for away. So <laughs> <laughs> it might be a, yeah, it might be a tough watch. As a result of that, I'm going to say a nil-nil draw. <laughs> as, as my 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 statistician in my ear was just giving me was just giving me the stuff. So I'll say nil-nil draw. Really, really exciting one going on here. Um, okay, let's move on to our final match of the podcast, and this is Montpellier, who currently sits seventh, hosting RC Strasbourg, who are down in nineteenth. Jeremy Strasbourg in nineteenth. You know, last season they were playing well, finished eleventh. They were scoring goals, but now it doesn't really seem to be clicking, does it, Jeremy? No, and I can't really put my finger on why, except that I. I just had a feel, and I, I said I think in one of the one of the earlier pods this season that I just there's something about Strasbourg that just feels like the end of a cycle. Um, I think Laurie is a very good coach, but I think he's looking a little bit tired there. I think players like, I mean, Lala's the obviously obvious example that I think it's not his fault. He's clearly wanted a move, but he's been there I think probably two seasons too many. Um, I'm surprised a couple of other players like Jiku and Thomason haven't moved on because I think that they're, they're decent players. They've been a bit unlucky with a goalkeeping situation. Um, 
So it's hard to say exactly why. Again, on paper, it's really not about a team at all and they shouldn't be struggling and I wouldn't be surprised to see them pull themselves out of it. But there's just, I just feel like there's something about the club that's in a bit of a, a funk. I'm not going to say a sort of Toulouse-like spiral, nothing like that. But just feel like it's, you know, almost like they're sort of at that point where they've been in the in Ligue 1 few seasons now and and they've had their sort of taste of Europe and maybe it was just time to to kind of renew and refresh a few more things than they than they did in the summer um and they might struggle as a result but I, I you know I don't, I don't expect them to be as low as their current position at the end of the season but I also don't expect them to be doing too much I think mm-hmm. you said there that you kind of find it a little bit difficult to Put, put a nail in it, you know, really go, here's the issue, here's the issue, here's how you fix it. I mean, they've been, but, to be fair, they're very unlucky against Marseille as well, you know, oh, yeah. concede one shot and and it happens to be an excellent finish. Right. Also, obviously, Ajork's rubbish, so that doesn't help. <laughs> I hear Clinton <laughs> I'm saying that storming <laughs> into this podcast right now to argue with you. Who would you like to see more from then? Who, who do you think is not 100% performing outside of Ludovic? I mean, I'm, I'm not saying they're not performing, but I think any any sort of midfield or attacking midfield with the likes of Thomason and Belgard in it, I don't think should be struggling. I think they're, they're really classy players. Simakon, obviously everyone is, is, he's one of those defenders that a lot of people are looking at. Um, maybe it is the sort of, you know, the real bite in midfield that they're missing. Um, I, yeah, I mean, it, it's hard to say, you know, Kamara has had a couple of dodgy moments in goal. It's hard to say exactly what, what the problem is, because um, I said that there, there are some very decent players there. Diallo has already you know, scored a couple of goals since he's come in. Um, it, it shouldn't be a struggle for them. Um, so I'm, I'm, I can't really say why, because it's other than a bit of staleness, it's hard to put your put your finger on it. Can I can I offer up the idea that I, I think that they're missing um, something which was really important to that team? I think was a bit of steel and resolve in midfield. And I know not most technically adept players, but if you look at players like uh, they've lost, like Gonçalves, Grimm, Martin. I think that that sort of steel and reserve um, allowed them to play with a little bit more ability to go forward. And this season, they don't really have that. Um, I don't really feel like Sissoko is necessarily a defensive midfielder. Lore is also Jiku in that role. Um, but I don't think in terms of composure, leadership, um, you know, not going to play in a flash way, but are going to be a metronomic presence at the base of midfield. But lacking that has really sort of, I think, sapped the verve from their style of play. There's just a little bit more reticence and, and caution and, and that the mistakes that those players like a Thomason or a Belgard or a Leonard do make uh, do become magnified when there isn't uh, you know, a more reliable presence at the base of midfield to sort of mop things up. I think yeah. also, I, mean, I don't think there's any, there's ever been a decent team that hasn't had that kind of player in there. Sorry, Tom. That's all right. Uh, I think uh, good to mention that there was a, an article that went up on the website a few days ago by um, by James Evans, and he was, talk, he was talking about um, Strasbourg start the season, and I think I agree with what he said. It's you know they have been unlocking. We have to consider the amount of issues they, the the impact that, that COVID had on them, um, 
the amount of cases they did have at the club and and especially the I think the loss of, of Matt Sells is has made a more of an impact than I thought it might have been. Um maybe I haven't considered it as that much and, and Kamara's not been um not been as strong. And I think Sells has always did sort of an underrated job um between the sticks for a few seasons he's been there. So yeah, I'd uh, ask anybody to, to go and uh, have a read of that article. It's, it's a nice explanation. I know. I think sometimes when you look through the players that they are missing at the moment, you can kind of forget how how well they did perform at times. Matt Sells, some of the performances that he has put in in the last few years since he's since he's come, I think from Newcastle, have been just incredible. He's had some fantastic matches at times, and Label Motiba as well, who I don't believes in the team. I think he's out injured. You know, a couple of years ago, he was, you know, one of the most liked strikers in, in France. You know, he was, he was playing very, very well. Now, when you don't have that, it, it can sometimes hamper you, can kind of hamstring you. Although I do I do agree, I think Strasbourg are similar to kind of Rams. I do think they do have the squad to push on a little bit more. I think Tomasin's a fantastic player. Habib Diallo's obviously top, top quality as a Simakan. Um, you, you know, it's, it's not a player issue. It, it's just one of these things that... At one point they will kind of kick on, and it'll for some reason they'll just start playing really well, and it'll you know it'll, you get into a funk, you get into a, a, a habit of winning, as the as the cliche goes. Um, let's move on to their opponents for this one, Montpellier. They're currently sitting seventh, and you know I was looking at Montpellier for the last few years. You know they they had a good start this season, went into a bit of a rocky middle, but they're back on the horse now. And of the last, I think it's five seasons i was looking into about their finances and how they've gone about things they've actually signed the third least players um and it's over like the last five years um i think it's only neem and i can't remember someone else below them 50 million pounds spent over the last five seasons 10 million of last cent of the last five seasons 10 million a season rather and then you go and look at some of their players that are quality players but they don't really seem to get linked away all the time despite always putting in good performances you know Jeremy, I was thinking about this. Are they one of the most unsexy teams in France? You know, you look at players like Andy Delors, Gaetan Laborde, guys who've played well for years, scored goals, but they very rarely get linked with these big money moves away because they just don't kind of fit that 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 sexy feel that some teams kind of sometimes want to have. If you know what I mean, when they do sign a player, I I mean I I wouldn't I I'm pretty sure Delors thinks he's sexy. Um, <laughs> I I know what you mean. I think. It might part of it might be also who their manager is. I think um, you know, Zakarian has, has certainly got a reputation as as a more defensive coach, and and I think Montpellier's good runs the last two three years have been more based on a strong defence. Um, but even then, I mean, if you're talking about quality players and frankly sexy players, I think Mendes has been superb for Montpellier and is is a very good looking man, um, and. <laughs> So you know he he possibly could have could have expected someone to come in for him at some point. Um, yeah, I think I think that they're. Um, I I follow a, a Montpellier fan on Twitter. He's sort of it's a bit weird. He's half Montpellier fan, half a PSG fan. But I, he's been alluding for weeks to the fact that there's been really big kind of. Um, splits in the changing room and lots of tension behind the scenes there and it's killing me that he's not kind of giving any more information um 
but I think there probably are some some pretty abrasive characters all the way through the you know from the Zakaria and from Nikola even on the on the bench to um, you know the likes of Delors who doesn't seem easiest to get on with Laborde personally I was on his side but you know he left Bordeaux in a in a well he kind of indirectly caused um, Poyet's departure. I think you know you look at the the midfield three of the of their of their last match Mollet, Ferry, Savanier. I think they all have their moments, and I think all of them, it's kind of it works both ways. I think there's there's big positives to it and and some negatives. You're going to get tensions, and you know you look at I don't know the likes of Mourinho, I guess, and and Galtier maybe that there's there's some coaches and some players and some teams that thrive on that, but it's always a bit of a knife edge. So. Um, I think it works. It's generally working well for Montpellier. I, I get the impression without ever having sat and worked it out, which I probably should, that for the last two or three years, the first half of the season always seems stronger than the second. And possibly, although there's a, an amazing correlation between when Mendes plays and when he doesn't, um, that maybe there as well, it's something to do with, again, those, those sort of strong characters in the changing room everyone gets on to a certain point and then it kind of maybe falls apart a little bit and they need a summer to go away and 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 heal their wounds I don't know I mean I'm speculating to an extent but I do think that they've got some quality players there I think possibly the Zakarian's more negative um, style of play maybe doesn't bring out the best or, or rather I think, you know, in the likes of Delors, Laborde, Mollet, I think they're probably more talented players and they're sometimes allowed to show. Um, it does generally work for them, but maybe that's what's kind of preventing them just from taking that that one little step further because they keep kind of just missing out on Europe and, and maybe something needs to change slightly just to push them that little bit forward or to kind of put some of these players more in the limelight. Um, you know, it's not necessarily fair to kind of judge Delors based on his on his uh, the time that he spent at Wigan, for example. <laughs> um, Eric, uh, the Montpellier have had a couple switch arounds with their kind of formation and how they kind of set up their team, but they've they've seemed to set on this four three three setup. And their strikers for the last few years, Delors and Laborde, so much gets talked about them. You know, they've always kind of played together there's been some experiments put in there Florin Molle's had a couple of times where he's played kind of up there and they've, they've been a bit of a three and it's worked in, in drips and drabs and now Steffi Didi, the English striker who's signed uh, permanently now from Juventus he was on loan at Dijon last season um, he's joined and he's playing a, a bit more of a of an integral part in their team I believe he got the win against San Etienne last week yes he did he got this got the got the winner against San Etienne last week and he's getting a bit more involved now and, and do you think there's been a good addition to the team him being involved more in the attack moving from that front two more to that front three now it allows them to kind of score well, score more goals at the end of the day Eric um but tactically I am not sure that that's what Montpellier are doing I think that the last two matches they've had Latayek and Hilton suspended so that's why they've not played with a 3-5-2 or three four one two with Savani or Mole behind those that front two, um, yeah. I I want to see what the, how they would line up um, with those players available. Uh, given that situation, if you're missing, you know, if you're missing 
you're you know if you're missing your central defenders, you're not going to play in a back three if you don't if you don't have them. I mean, I guess you have Nicola Casa. Um, I'm not sure if he's fit either. Um, so yeah, I, I think that that was more down by necessity on the part of Jessicari than any anything that was necessarily intended. I still think that they intend to play uh, with wing backs. Suke and Ristich have had have had strong seasons. Uh, and then you've got, you know, a midfield that's some combination of Ferry, Chotard, Latayek, uh, Savanier, and Mole. You know, whether that's that takes on a more attacking bent given the opponent and and or not is 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 a question. But yeah, I think that was more needs must. It's not necessarily a tactical shift on the part of Montpellier. Um, I think that three five two does work well. I think I think Ristich in, in particular has, has had a really strong start to the season, um, and that sort of width works well when you've got. Uh, uh, Paris strikers in the likes of Labor and Labor and Delors, who are both physical and mobile, um, and then you've got Savani and Mole to support them there in attack as well. So, yeah, it's a system that works well, but it, it does require a lot of work from the players. So then, you know, alluding to the point that you made, Jeremy, about things sort of breaking down that uh, that requisite level of intensity that a, a formation like like that that requires those players to play. And hasn't yet yielded success. I I can see mentally how that would wear on those players, and how that would be how that would have sorry a deleterious effect on them over time. Hmm. Yeah, no. Like when when you sometimes get these teams that their setup isn't one where it's like oh beautiful football and we're all just incredible at playing football and we're all gorgeous and we're just gonna kind of storm into it and win three 0 and see you later. You know, there's a lot of teams that could aren't don't have that kind of they can't afford that so they come in and they have to kind of have a lot more of a workman-like setup and kind of struggle through the games and, and sometimes that can it, that may be the reason why Montpellier in the last few years have always kind of been in and around the European places but always just kind of fallen short do you think this season it could be different for the Medic where they could just kind of push that extra few points and qualify for Europe or qualify for the Europa League in, in, in some case uh whoa. um that's really hard to say. I, I really like the acquisition of Savanier, and I think that the injury that he dealt with last season uh, was difficult for Montpellier to sort of ride that out, given how central a role he was expected to have played. Um, you know, he he also missed a couple matches of suspension earlier this season. Um, they look... Oh, gosh. I, so we've got five places to play for in the league, with the, the, the league uh, no longer in existence. Um I think we'd have to, we'd be hard pressed to argue that PSG, Lille, and Rennes won't take three of those. Um, and I think that Monaco and and Lyon, along with Marseille, look safer bets than do Montpellier at this point. Throw Nice in there as well. Yeah, I, I, I just, I, I think that again, you know, they are, you know, sort of a hammer and tong style team, and that can make them difficult on the eye, but they are solid. But I, yeah, I just don't think that they've got enough compared to the other teams uh, around them. I mean, do I think they're better than Nice? No, not really. Um, but I, I think certainly, I think that's sort of a push, but I think that those other teams that I mentioned, um, those six teams uh, are all certainly over the course of a season going to be uh, at least more consistent than Montpellier. Um, again, well, we mentioned I mentioned the change of formation there with those suspensions. Um, Montpellier are pretty thin. Um, if you take out, if you don't have Delors, if you don't have uh, you know Jonas Omlin, uh, 
I, I think if you don't have Hilton, uh, the team takes on a different cast. Um, and I think that that makes, that makes things very complicated for Josekari, and he doesn't really have much depth of, depth of the squad. So you, you, know, you have someone miss three matches because of COVID or two matches because of suspension. And the level to which he, he is forced to sort of rejig the team as a result um, makes it more consistent, more difficult to achieve a level of consistency that might be uh, more sympathetic to allow them to reach those European places. Uh, okay, Eric, how do you see Montpellier getting through in this one, hosting Strasbourg, who currently sit in 19th? Uh, 2-1 home win. Okay, Thomas? Um, it, I mean, it's probably blasphemy to say this, but three of Montpellier's five wins have come when Hilton hasn't started. Anyway, my prediction... Um, <laughs> I'm going to say uh, 1-0 Montpellier. Okay, Jeremy, are you going to go for a clean sweep for the home side? Uh, yeah, 2-0. Two, two I don't know, I think it'll be tight, man, because we, we, we've been saying a lot about Strasbourg and the kind of quality that they do have, and I think it is, uh, personally, I think it's a matter of time before they do start to kind of kick on with the quality player that they've got. Is that time against Montpellier as opposed to in their next few matches? I'm trying to look at who they're going to play. They've got Brest coming up in a couple of weeks. Lorient as well. You know, It might really be those times that Strasbourg start to kind of step up as opposed to an away match at Montpellier where they are very strong. So I, I will go for Montpellier win, but I think it'll be tight. I'm going to go 1-0 Montpellier with, with Strasbourg kind of coming back into it following the international break. I can't think of too many guys that Strasbourg will have had away playing internationally uh yeah I, th- I think it will be a tight one one nil um but okay that wraps us up thank you very much for listening if you're looking for more information on all things french football in english you can go to the website at getfootballnewsfrance.com or you can catch us on twitter at gffn where we get trolled on the daily by most of football twitter i've been joined today by jeremy smith eric devin and thomas wiseman i've been lewis mcparlin and thank you very much for listening to this latest podcast we'll probably be back next week to talk about the next round of league and matches as well as the european action that's set to be played next week um, thank you very much and i'll see you in the next one